Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. So this is week six of our series on the seven churches of Revelation. I hope uh, you have gotten a lot out of these uh, messages. And I think probably the most important thing to remember, and I'm reminded of this as I've been studying through and and preparing the messages, you know, these messages were written for a specific audience. Now, it doesn't mean that because they were written for a specific audience, they don't mean anything to us. Today, it absolutely does. Now, we can take those words, and it's always fun for me to have these little aha moments during uh, looking through the Scripture and reading some commentaries and historical information about the church. Is going, oh, that's why they said that. You know, we've had that through Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and uh, Thyatira and Sardis. And now as we go to the church in Philadelphia, we can see even more uh, evidence of God uh, speaking to these churches, but also God speaking to us even today. So I invite you to go to God in prayer with me. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, we just come to you thankful for your word. Your word that was written for uh, audiences long time ago. But because your word is living and your word is alive, it is alive for us today. And we can take those words and, and help us grow as your disciples. So, Lord, we ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So we're, we're moving about 27 miles south of Sardis, which was the church that we talked about last week, about 70-ish miles away from Pergamum, uh, and about 105 from, uh, from Smyrna, which is on the uh, coast of the Mediterranean Sea. I tell you those things because it's important to know about the church in Philadelphia, because of, of all the seven churches, Philadelphia is, uh, that city is the youngest of the cities. It was established in about uh, 189 B.C. by the king of Pergamum. And it was set up not as a, a garrison, not as a, a battle post, but it was set up to help spread Greek culture. Now, the name Philadelphia, we, we know what Philadelphia means, right? It's like the brotherly love. You know, we talk about the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, being the city of brotherly love. Well, that's what Philadelphia was all about uh, back in these ancient times. It was named that because of the love that the king of Pergamum had for his younger brother. So the city was established as an honor to the king of Pergamum's younger brother. Now, as the, the city grew, it, it changed hands in about 
135 BC when the king of Pergamum, uh, another king, passed away. And everything was handed over to the Romans, and that whole area became a part of the Holy Roman Empire. Now, uh, or, or the Roman Empire at that time. Now, we're going to get into more details about the church because what happened with the churches and, and some of the significance of the churches will see uh, play out as we read through our scripture for today. So we uh, move on into Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 7 through 13. So I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Philadelphia, uh, along with the church in Smyrna, those are the two churches that there is not a rebuke. All we see are, are words of, of commendation or, or words of, to build them up, to let them know, you guys are on the right track. Keep doing what you have been doing. And the very first thing, as, as we look in the scripture, Jesus gives us an identity again of who he is, but this time he goes back and, and he fulfills some words of, of prophecy all the way back from the book of Isaiah when he talks about how he holds the keys of David. He, he, is, he is letting us know from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, where the writer writes, I will place on his shoulders, talking about Jesus, the keys of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. Holding the keys of David means that there is something powerful about that person who, who holds those keys. That person has the ability to do, to do more because that authority has been placed upon him. And because that authority has been placed upon him, he has the ability to open and shut, to, to, to make things available for those who, who love and follow him. And it is a reminder of those people in Philadelphia and for us that Christ opens the doors for us. And there's nothing in the world that can shut those doors because it is Christ 
who holds those doors open. Even as we look into some of the people that challenge the church in Philadelphia, some, some villains that we've heard before in Smyrna called the synagogue of Satan. Now, to be sure, we have to remember that this is not an anti-Semitic text or, or it's not claiming anything wrong about Jewish people, but in this passage, we hear that these are people who are pretending to be Jewish. The words in to the church in Smyrna, uh, Jesus said this, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich, but I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Here the words come a little bit harsher. It says that they are liars, that, that they are taking something and they're trying to, to bolster themselves by claiming that they are a part of the synagogue where they're actually are not. These are, these are Gentiles who have tried to stop the growth of the church by, by claiming that they had a higher authority. We have to remember that, that the, the church in Philadelphia was more like a, a small home church. It wasn't a group of 100 people gathering together. It was a, it was a smaller group that was, that was making their way and, and starting to grow and, and be a part of the community. But because of the message that they were preaching, because of what they were saying, it was causing a threat to the power structure. And when the power was held in the synagogue, those people flocked to the synagogue so that they could have the power in the community. So it was really important to remember that the synagogue of Satan was trying to hold back the growth of the church. It was trying to, to force their identity on the community so that their ways, so that their power may grow. You know, sometimes that happens even in our own world today, doesn't it? There are people who claim that they are followers of Christ so that they can get the power and get the authority of, of the country but when we see their actions, when we see how they behave, we question that. And we wonder, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, and if you claim to, to do those things that Jesus tells you to do, why do we see something different? You know, Jesus talks and warns about this by saying, you know, even those, there's some of those who will say, call me Lord, Lord, that I will look at and I'll say, you're not a part of us. And it's mainly due to your actions, the way that you uphold yourself. It doesn't follow who those who claim to follow me. It, it doesn't add up. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to how you are living your life. But that was the, the struggle and that was the problems that the young church had to deal with in Philadelphia. But one thing that we do know, the church had a path. The church had a way to share God's love for other people, and that was the open door, an open door that Christ has opened for them. Now, an interesting thing about the church in Philadelphia or, or the city of Philadelphia as I said before, it wasn't set up to be a garrison. It wasn't set up to be a military stronghold, but it was set up to be an open door to share Greek philosophy. 
It was set up to be an open door so that the communities around them, people could start from there and share the Greek ideas with other cities and other countries around them. So Jesus is, is holding on to this little tidbit to remind them to say, look, Philadelphia was important because as the cities on the coast were starting to die away and starting to fade, it was used to, to promote Greek ideas. But guess what? You have a higher calling than sharing Greek ideas. You have a calling to share the gospel with the world. And it's through this city, through the open door that I have given you, that you will take the gospel into the world. Philadelphia is still one of those cities that that still remains, and you can see some of the ruins of some of the ancient churches that were there that that kept moving on and on and on and sharing the love and grace, even though Philadelphia was a weak city. It was weak because Philadelphia was also one of those cities that was destroyed time and time again by earthquakes. It got to a point where where people moved out of the city and around outside because they didn't want to have the walls fall down on them. But time and time again, the leaders of of the day would find ways to help rescue them or or help give them aid. The the emperors of the time would, would forgive the taxes that were to be paid in Philadelphia so that they can rebuild and so they can be strong because they knew of the importance of this city. And see, that is how Jesus talks about them being raised up as pillars, that, that a foundation would be placed on this church so that more and more people can hear about God's love and grace through Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the, the words that Paul writes to the Corinthians when they talk about their weakness and, and they're worried about how they will share or how they will move on when, when life seems hard and life seems difficult. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul writes that Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We don't like to be weak, do we? We don't like to to have the idea that we can't do it. Where we have this culture around us where we are self-sufficient, where we where we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we are able to take one step after another. But my friends, is that really the way of Christ? Where, where we try to do things on our own, or is it okay for us to, to boast about our weakness so that Christ may be strong in the midst of our struggles and in the midst of those things that we feel are holding us back? It is okay for us to invite God into our weaknesses. And I think that's what we hear about what's happened in the church in Philadelphia. And I think that is what Christ calls us to do as the church in Royce City, to boast in our weakness, 
to say, you know, we don't have it all together. We may not have it all together at all, ever. But the one thing that we do have is that God is with us. In the midst of our infirmity, in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our struggles, we know that God is there. And one of the ways that we see that God is there is that God brings other people to help us in the midst of our weakness. I see that time and time again when, when people in the congregation are struggling, when, when we have friends or, or, or neighbors who are, are in need. People come and stand alongside each other in the midst of weakness to hold each other up, to build each other up to allow other people's strength to be our strength when we may not have it all together. It is in the midst of being lifted up or being, being surrounded in the midst of those weakness that Christ becomes evident. It is in the midst of those times where we may feel like we're being rejected by the world because we don't have it all put together, that Christ is affirmed to stand, to walk, to comfort, and to hold true. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay because God is with us. Let us pray. Oh God, we don't like to be weak. We want to make it look like we have it all together all the time. When we get up in the morning, when we, we put on our clothes for the day, when we step out of our homes, and we drive to our places of business or to our schools. We want to have an image that we know all and that we can succeed on our own. But God, help us to realize that it's okay to be weak. As long as we take the opportunity to, to lay our weaknesses at your feet. To, to strengthen us, to build us, to, to gird us up so that we may move through the next day with you. And God, help us to keep our eyes open around us because everyone is facing a battle in their lives. And as if we as the church, as we as the body of Christ, can be there in the midst of others' weaknesses. We can then lift each other up in the love and grace of the one who loves us and cares for us. And it is in his name that we lift this up. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.